I don't know about you, but when you get ready to go on any kind of trip, usually the uh, night before, I have a hard time sleeping. You know, you're just anxious about different things and excited. And uh, I was laying in bed last night trying to sleep, <laughs> checking off things in my mind. Um, I was thinking of, of, of Christ, and I, and I was thinking of when he was here on earth and the suffering that he went through and all that he um, came to, to bear uh, through the sacrifice and the resurrection, everything. And um, it says that he did that for the glory set before him. And I thought, you know, he's, he was really uh, anticipating being back where he knew he belonged with his father in glory. And uh, sometimes, you know, when you're anticipating a trip... It can work either way. Uh, in my case, I'm going back to visit my wife, who I've been apart from for two, two weeks, and my grandkids and my daughter, so I'm kind of excited about it. But I thought, what if they were here and I was still going on the same trip? <laughs> if I was still going to the airport, if I was still getting on a plane, I was going to D.C., and yet they were here. I would have kind of that sick feeling in my stomach, thinking, boy, you know, I'm apart from those I love for Christmas and you know, you just get that, that sick feeling. And I thought, you know, that's probably similar, um, humanly, maybe how Jesus felt when he was here on earth. He, he knew all the things that he was doing, but he, he longed to be back with his heavenly Father. And we've been in a little series talking about uh, uh, Christmas and uh, the gospel according to Christmas. And last week we looked at uh, two different stories, and today we're going to look briefly at two more. And so if you turn over to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, we want to continue this little series. Now while I'm going, Ken's going to be teaching next week, Ken Saragusa, one of our elders, and then uh, the next two weeks after that, Danny Vasquez is going to be teaching, and uh, just want to thank them in advance for their um, help while I'm gone, and thank you for the worship team, and Dan, and Danny and others who will be filling in. But as we look here at this Christmas story that we're all so familiar with in Luke chapter 2, uh, you got all your shopping done? Who's got, all, who's got shopping to do yet? Anybody? Some. You know, Amazon is a wonderful thing. It really is. I mean, it's, it's just changed the way most people prepare for Christmas across the board. It's become very practical. Uh, it's an amazing company, too. If you do any research on it, you can pretty much count on good prices, good service from them any time of the day or night, any time of the year. But as I was looking into Amazon, one of the things that made them different from many other American companies is that from the beginning, their founder and president, Jeff uh, Bezos, he said this, we're in this for the long haul. We're in this for the long haul. And what he meant by that was simply they don't make decisions based on what yield will, what will yield the best return next quarter. They make decisions based on what yield an even greater return in 10 years from now. And that's a problem that a lot of American companies have. They're always looking just three months down the road, that's it. It stops there. And Amazon is usually looking 10 years down the road. And I think if you want to be successful in business, 
or as an investor, anything like that, you have to be willing to learn to do that. You have to be willing to look down the road. And it means that you spend much of your life waiting. But in the long run, if you practice that principle, it'll be worth it. Well, today we're going to look at a man, Simeon, and he did this in relationship to his own spiritual life. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. He was a righteous man. He was a devout man. He spent his entire life, if you can imagine, waiting for God to send the Messiah to redeem Israel. His entire life. The Holy Spirit promised Simeon that he would not die until he had seen Christ face to face. That was a promise from God. Now, I don't think Simeon expected a baby... I doubt it. Maybe he did. Who knows? He was probably expecting to meet maybe a grown man, maybe a rabbi or a prophet or a political leader. Uh, That's what most first century Jews expected the Messiah to be. But the promise was fulfilled in Simeon's life when the Holy Spirit led him to go to the temple. We know the story. In Jerusalem, on the same day that Mary and Joseph had come with Jesus to participate in a special sacrifice required for their firstborn sons. And when he saw Jesus, when he saw that little baby in Mary's arms, something within him stirred. The Bible says that. And he knew that this little infant, this little child was the fulfillment of God's promise to him. The story says that Simeon took the little boy into his arms and gave praise to God. And let's just read this story in in chapter 2, verse 25 to 35. It says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. Oops, wrong chapter. Hold on. Chapter (laughs) 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was... righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed him and said, look at what he says in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what he said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, her mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. When you stop and you read those verses and you see that story, it says here that Simeon prophesied about this child, the Messiah. And he prophesied about him while he was holding him in his arms. And his words tell us a lot about Christ. It tells us a lot about who he is, about why he came, about how we must respond. 
And just as we look at this story briefly, I just want to share three points with you. There are three gospel truths here about Simeon's prophecy. These truths remind us of why we celebrate Christmas and why it's such a meaningful time of the year for us. Because God became, God sent his son to become a servant, his chosen one, his only begotten son, to enter into human history and to die on the cross for our sins so that whosoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. See, that's the gospel according to Christmas in a signal sentence. Let's look at Simeon's prophecy as we look at this. First of all, I want you to notice, because of Jesus, we know that everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be all right. When you listen to Simeon's words, you can hear how overcome he was with peace and optimism and assurance. They're especially beautiful in the King James Version. In verse 29, it says, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation." which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. He was saying this little child that he was holding in his hands is the hope for all humanity, the Savior of all people in every nation, in every generation. See, he is a light to the Gentiles, it says. And it says that he is the glory of the people of Israel. He is the plan of salvation for the human race. There is no other. Now, it doesn't take much to think this world is in terrible sorts. It's a terrible place, and it's only getting worse. Soon, it will come all crashing down around us one day, because that's the course we're on, a course of self-destruction. But that's not all there is to it, beloved. Yeah, the Bible predicts some dark days in the human history, very, very much so. But that's not the end of the story. Persecution is not the end of the story. Martyrdom is not the end of the story. Oppression and opposition and failure and defeat is not the end of the story, beloved. What is the end of the story? Well, the Bible tells us ultimate and complete victory through Jesus Christ for all of God's people. That's what we have to look forward to. We have have to look forward to eternal peace and never-ending joy. See, when the Bible talks about the last days, it uses some imagery and symbolism that's hard to interpret sometimes. But in Revelation 21... We don't need any interpretation. Look at what it says in verse 3 and 4. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. That's what we have to look forward to when we come to God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate plan for the direction of all human history. That's God's desire. This plan was set in motion on a silent night 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ departed from 
his glorious abode above and came down into this sinful world to redeem all those who wish to be redeemed. Because of Jesus, everything is going to work out. Even though we suffer, even though we go through tribulation and trials, even though the world creaks and groans in pain, waiting for its redemption as well, there's a lot of wrong going on around us. But we can know that God is directing our course in human history in the direction of ultimate victory in Christ. And this isn't just some pie-in-the-sky promise. This is something that God has given us to hold on to. The Christian life isn't just about gathering together in heaven at the end of time, and that's it. The Christian life is about living each day in victory for our Lord. Living each day in a way that would give a picture, maybe just a small picture to a lost and dying world. That God loves them. That He cares for them. That He desires to be gracious to them. His Son. Romans 8.28 God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. A little further down in that chapter, Romans 8.31 and 32, it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Since He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? Aren't those words of encouragement this morning to your heart? Verse 37 of Romans 8 says, Despite all these things, all the persecution, all the things that Paul was facing, he said, despite all those things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who loves us, who cares for us? The gospel according to Christmas, it's that, Simple promise that because of Jesus, everything can be okay. Everything can work out. Secondly, because of Jesus, you can have a life that's full of light. There's a lot of people today that walk around with just darkness. It just seems like they, you know, they're just full of it. They're discouraged. They're despondent. Simeon called the baby Jesus a light to reveal God to the nations. In the glory of your people Israel. I mean, if you want to know what God is really like, I always tell people, if you want to know what God is really like, read the Gospels. Read about Christ. Pay careful attention to everything that Jesus says. Watch closely everything he does. Because he is the exact representation, the Bible tells us, of God. He told his followers in John 14, 9, Anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. He said to his critics in the temple in Jerusalem, John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And in John 1, 9, he says, the Apostle John said of him, the true light which lights every man which comes into the world. See, Jesus came into the world to die on a cross for our sins, to pay the price for our salvation. To know that we could live forever in heaven, in his presence. But that's not all. He came to show us what God is really like. He came to teach us how that we could know God, how we could follow God, how we could love God. And how we could even love ourselves and and love others equally. 
He came so that we could see a picture of a true servant and how that we could live a life that makes a difference in this dark and sinful world. He really came to teach us how to live. And those who follow his teachings live in that light. Jesus taught us how to forgive. If you want to know anything, what living in darkness is about, just refuse to forgive others. When somebody does you wrong, just say, I'm, I'm going to hold a grudge. You'll be in darkness, all right? You'll be miserable. See, Jesus taught us how to forgive others. He taught us how to give. If you want to know what living in darkness is all, all about, just be greedy with everything you have, your time, your talent, your treasure. Hold on to it like it's yours and yours alone. Jesus taught us to serve others. If you want to know a little bit what darkness is all about, walk through this, this world with your life, with you is number one. Thinking that you're it. No one else matters. Please yourself. In the end, you'll be miserable. 1 John 1, 5, the Apostle John said this, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Not even a little bit. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. See, when you walk with Christ, when you walk with Jesus, I'm going to tell you, you make better decisions for your life. You make better decisions for your family. You have better relationships. You experience more victory over sin. When you fall, you know what? You get right back up. You get back on your feet much faster. People who walk with Christ on a daily basis discover that the world is full of light. That's what we learn here in Simeon's prophecy. That Jesus came to be the light of all nations, and that includes us in your day-to-day existence. Well, thirdly, because of Jesus, everyone must make a choice. Everyone is faced with a decision. It says in verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined, look at what it says, to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be the joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very sore, your very soul. See, because Jesus, because of Jesus, everything is going to work out. Your life can have some light in it, but also for those who choose Jesus, I want you to understand, as I quoted earlier in the book of Revelation, the promise that every tear will be wiped away, and death and pain will be gone forever. The book of Revelation also says that there will be those who will spend an eternity separated from all that, separated from God because of their pride, because of their willful indecision when it comes to Christ. What's the determining factor? What do you do with Jesus? Where do you spend eternity? What are you going to do with Christ See, we have to decide. 
Is he the Savior? Is that little baby the one who grew up and was raised and lived a perfect life and died on that cross that we know, Calvary, and was raised on the third day? Was he truly the Messiah? Was he truly who he said he was? Because if he was, you might want to follow him. You might want to commit your life to him. See, if you're unwilling to do that, to be honest with you, you're, you're showing a little bit of pride, a little bit of arrogance. Just to be real upfront, a little ignorance. If we were in a burning building and I said, that door is the only way out, run. And you sat here and argued with me. Well, how about if I go that way? Oh, they're all locked. You've got to get out that way. You say, well, who would do that? When you tell people Jesus is the only way, he's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, there's no way to get to heaven except through him. And people say, well, I don't know if I want to buy into that. I'm going to try this for a while. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's like they're standing in a burning building and their flesh is falling off their bodies and they're saying, well, I'd like to run out that way, but I really want to go this way instead. They're not willing to give it up. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's a promise from God. Jeremiah 29, 13. No one's going to stumble their way unknowingly into hell. Any more than people are going to stumble unknowingly into heaven. The question is simply this. What are you going to do with Christ? He said himself this. This is what Jesus quoted in the Gospels. He who is not with me is what? Against me. Not standing on the line, not trying to grope over here in the dark, trying to find, no, you're against him. He said, whoever is not against us is for us. So you can't ride the fence when it comes to Jesus. Either you commit your life to him or you don't. He doesn't make it rocket science. You don't have to understand every religion in the world to come to Christ. You simply have to be willing to bend your knee and say, you know what, he is the Lord, he is the Savior, and I am not. The second story I want you to see this morning is the story of the Magi. And you can look at chapter 2, Matthew we read the first 12 verses there. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, magi from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least 
among the nations of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him, and they opened their treasures, and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Magi's story is simply this, that there's something better than religion out there. If religion's all you got, you don't have anything. Some of you may remember about 20-some years ago, Oldsmobile tried to come back. And they made a big deal about it, and they had an advertising campaign. Remember what it said. This is not your father's Oldsmobile. And their ads just, they teamed up with some of the famous fathers and their children. They had Ringo Starr and his daughter, and they had William Shatner and his daughter, and they had others. And they they created this little catchphrase. And sometimes you can even hear it today. I heard it around the time of the election. This is not your father's Republican Party, or this is not your father's Democratic Party. Or this is not your father's army. This is not your father's job market. You know, people use that as a phrase today. I want you to know when Jesus came into the world, you might say he came in with a message. And his message was simply this, as we've seen as we studied through Matthew, this is not your father's religion. And when he came preaching that message to his generation He preached a message they had never heard before. True religion is not about race, and it's not about ritual. That was the message that he brought. It's not about those things. It's about having a relationship with the loving Heavenly Father. See, Jesus came into the world, beloved, so that we can have new life, have our relationship with God restored. He didn't come in to the world to show us, oh, okay, you know, you can't eat this food, you can't eat that food, you, you can't work on Sunday, or you've got to do this, you've got to do that. That's not why he came. Organized religion has pretty much lost its way as we know it today. And so Jesus even came into the world back then to show them what it really means to know God personally, what it really means to love God, what it really means to live a godly life. And that's the story here that we see these wise men, these magi. It presents a radical view of God. And it challenged their belief system in the first century. Jewish mindset. 
and even challenges us today. Even as Christians, sometimes we get a little too religious, I think. And we think that it's all about our church or our denomination or our this or our that or whether we do this or do that. We, we bring Christianity down to a list of do's and don'ts. That's not what Christianity is about. We have a tendency to put God in a box, beloved. And then we paint him with our colors, whatever it might be. Almost as if real Christianity would be red, white, and blue or something like that. Or Christianity would be southern. Or Christianity would fit within the confines of my denomination or your denomination. See, Jesus challenged those kind of ideas. He challenged people's thinking when it came to that. And we saw he challenged people about working on the Sabbath. They persecuted him for healing on the Sabbath. He challenged people about these hand-washing rituals that they had. And even Peter and Paul later in their ministry challenged some dietary restrictions and circumcision and other things that were purely religious icons that people were worshiping. See, it's because the message of the gospel... The gospel, according to Christmas, is not about race. It's not about ritual. It's about having a personal relationship with a Savior who left his glory and came down and lived a life for us and then gave up that life and then rose from the dead on the third day. The story of the wise men, really it's one of the favorite parts of the the Christmas story for a lot of people. But there's also a lot of misconceptions about Christmas. Um, Some scholars speculate that these wise men obviously did not arrive when Christ was born. It could have been as up to two years later when Christ was a little boy. Because it says that they came to the house, not to the stable, where the house where Joseph and Mary were staying. And they saw the young child, not the newborn babe. Another tradition is that they arrived on the sixth day of January, 12 days after the birth of Christ. That's where you get the idea of the 12 days of Christmas. So they got that. Another misconception is that, that these guys were, were wise men. The Bible doesn't really tell us that. Um, or that there was three wise men. It doesn't really tell us that. It just says that there was wise men that came from the east to Jerusalem. And we think because they brought three gifts, there must have just been three of them. We don't know. The Eastern Church believes that there was 12 wise men. We also believe, or we sing that we believe, we three kings of Orient are. We think that they were kings. The Bible actually uses the word magi, which translates wise men. They were actually priests of another religion. They were astronomers who believed that God speaks through the stars. And all the political and religious leaders of the day were clueless about the 
the birth of Christ. They were absolutely clueless. And yet God chose to reveal the miracle of the birth of his son, the Messiah, to a group of spiritual seekers, kind of new age guys. The story of the wise men teaches us three wonderful things. First of all, God reveals himself to those who seek him. So it says in verses 1 and 2, In the time of Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east. They came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who is born king of the Jews? For we observed the star rising and have come to pay him homage. See, astronomers tell us that for a period of time around the birth of Christ, there was, in fact, a star which shone brightly in the eastern sky. And that star was there for everybody to see. Not just these magi, everybody. The Jews could have seen it. The Pharisees could have seen it. The Sadducees could have seen it. Herod could have seen it. Anyone who looked up into the star, the starry sky that night, would have seen that magnificent star shining brighter than all others. Yet only the magi followed the star to find Christ. And find him they did because of the simple fact. That's how God is. That's how God works. He reveals himself to those who are looking for him. It's not an insignificant detail that these wise men weren't Jews. It's not an insignificant detail that they were priests of another religion. I think by this, God is telling us that Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, but he is the savior of all of mankind. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you're black or white, if you're rich or poor, if you're male or female or American or African or Asian or European, none of that matters. The story teaches us that God will reveal himself to anyone who seeks him. I remember in youth ministry, when I was new in ministry, I ran into a kid and a pretty smart guy for a teenager. He knew more about the world religions than I ever even dreamed of knowing. And I'd try to witness to him and he'd, you know, kind of spout off their philosophy or whatever. Oh, they believe this or they believe that or, you know, that's can't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, that kind of guy. He's just all over the map. And yet he was still seeking. He was still actively looking for something. He loved to discuss and compare the different religions of the world. I remember telling him one day, you know what? One day you're going to become a Christ follower. One day you're going to come to Christ. And he looked at me with a smile. And just, Why would I do that? Why do you think I would do that? And I said, you know what? Because it's very obvious to me that you're, you're seeking for something. You truly are. And when you seek God, you can't help but find him. And I remember I quoted this verse, Jeremiah 29, 13. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. You know what? That's exactly what happened. Years later, unbeknownst to me, he became a Christian. Years later, he went to school. He's actually in ministry today. God 
reveals himself to those who seek him. Secondly, God speaks to those who will listen. Look at verse 12. It says, Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left their own country by another road. I find that interesting. That God spoke to these men through the stars, first of all. That was kind of weird. And then he spoke to them through a dream. The important thing is is that they were paying attention. That they chose to listen. See, it was a choice that they made. They could believe that God was speaking to them. Or they could decide, you know what, this is just my imagination. This star is really not that bright than the other ones. I didn't really have this dream. See, it takes faith to believe that God is speaking to you. It takes faith to act on that belief. I mean, there's two ways that you can look at it. One person might say, God spoke to me in a dream. The other person might say, I dreamed that God spoke to me. (laughs) You say, well, what's the difference? One is driven by faith. The other is driven by what? Skepticism. See, in order to have a dynamic, growing relationship with God, you have to learn to embrace the belief that God speaks to us when we're willing to listen. Well, how does he speak to us? First of all, he speaks through the Bible. That's why we open the Bible and we, we, we quote verses and we study the Bible. Because Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy, lamp, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. You have to believe that God speaks through his word. If you ever visit a church, the pastor doesn't teach from the Bible, has nothing to say about the Bible, doesn't quote any verses, you've got to wonder, what are they teaching? When we read the Bible, God reveals his will to us, beloved. He gives us direction for our lives. He shows us the way that we should live, the way that we should go. And he does that because he loves us. Secondly, God speaks to us through the preaching and the teaching of his word. Not only do we have to get into the Bible for ourselves and study and and understand what it means, but we also have to come under the teaching of God's word. I heard of one well-known pastor who went on vacation and he ended up in this little country church somewhere and he knew the special speaker that was supposed to speak, so he was kind of excited because he never heard this guy speak before and he got there And apparently the guy couldn't make it. And the pastor wasn't even there. So they had some associate guy come up and share this message. And it was just all over the map. And he sat there the whole time just kind of criticizing the guy in his mind, thinking, oh, what's this guy? I don't know what he's doing. And, you know, this is ridiculous. Wasted time. And all the way at the end of the message, God spoke to this man's heart in a way that... He never did before. Through something that this kid said, God spoke to his heart. See, the preaching and the teaching of God's word, it's, it's something that I would consider sacred. I mean, most people that teach the Bible and, and preach and things like that, you know, what we know, we understand that our best efforts drastically fall short of any mark that we try to strive to make, to communicate the greatness of God. And yet somehow God uses our feeble attempts (laughs) to speak to those who are listening. It's amazing. But also God speaks to us through 
others. We're not limited the way God chooses to speak to us. He speaks to us through his word. But you know what? He may speak his word through a close friend. He may speak his word through your parents or your children even or through an event or through music or through a book. He may use whatever source he desires to give you guidance. It says here that God spoke to the wise men through the stars and through a dream. But before you run around saying, oh, God spoke to me about this or God spoke to me about that, you better make sure that everything, just as it was in this, everything he told them was consistent with what they already knew about Scripture. So don't be coming to me, ah, we're shaving this morning, Steve, and, and Jesus told me this, and it's some newfounded truth. Well, if it's not within the pages of this book, I don't want to hear it. Because God's not in the business of, of rewriting Scripture. He's not in the business of giving new revelation. He uses the revelation he gave us to lead us and to guide us. Well, the third thing I want you to see with the Magi is that God leads those who will follow. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, They set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen as it's rising until it stopped over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And it says that they knelt down and paid him homage. See, that star, beloved, led these wise men, these magi, these astronomers, right to Christ. And it was there for everybody to see. They didn't have special 3D glasses, and they're the only ones who could see the star. Other people could see it. But only these men had the, the, the spiritual wisdom to follow it. I want you to know this morning, if you're willing to let God lead you, through day-to-day events in your life, I'm here to tell you he will do it. It's not always going to be easy. It's not a bed of roses. He never said that. But he will lead you if you're willing to follow. The story about E. Stanley Jones, he tells of a missionary who got lost in the African jungle, of all things. And there was nothing around him but bush. Just solid bush. He found a native hut eventually. Hours. And he asked this native if he could lead him out. And the native said, sure, I'll do that. The missionary said, all right, well, show me the way. And the native looked at the missionary and said, follow me. And they walked and they hacked their way through unmarked jungle for hours. Finally, the missionary got a little upset. He got a little worried. And he he said, are you you sure you know the way out of here? Where's the path? I don't don't see where you're going. The native turned to the missionary and said, Bawana, in this place, there's no path. (laughs) I'm the path. You just follow me. See, there are times in your life, beloved, 
when we find ourselves in situations that there's no clear-cut answers. There's, there's no yes or no. There's, there's no just a clear direction. See, it's at those times that you can trust ourselves, we can trust ourselves completely to God, knowing that He will lead us each step of the way. The truth is He wants to lead us more than we even want to follow. See, that's not just the Christmas story. That's the gospel story. It's a spiritual life story. The story of the the wise men offers insight into the nature and character of God and how he relates to us. The story of the, the wise men teaches us that this isn't about religion, this whole church thing and Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about ritual. It's about a relationship with the God who loves you through his son, who loved you so much that he died for you. Do you want to know God this morning? Do you want to know what he's really like? I pray that you would seek him with all your heart. Because I know if you do, you'll find him. It's very clear. Listen for his voice. Find a Bible and read it. Read through the Gospel of John. Find out what Christ was about. Don't take my word for it. Do some investigation on your own. He's going to speak to your heart. And when he does, be willing to follow. He will lead you every step of the way for the remaining days of your life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the illustration of not only Simeon, but also the Magi. Lord, we thank you that they were willing to seek you and listen for your voice and be led by you. I pray for those who gathered here this morning, Lord, that we would come to understand what it means to be lost in our sin what it means to be desperate for you, Lord, to reach out and to show us the way out of this muck and this mire which we find ourselves in. Lord, I ask that you would do a mighty work for all that are seeking you here this morning. That maybe this is the Christmas, maybe this is the year that they truly come to understand the gospel according to Christmas. When Christmas morning comes and you know the Savior, you can truly cry out, joy to the world, the Lord has come. If you're wanting to know Christ this morning, just cry out to Him in the quietness of this moment. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me the way. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I've done a lot of bad things. And I know that you came and you died and you paid for those sins. I pray that you would help me to believe in you. Help my unbelief. Help me to be humble before you. To acknowledge my need of a Savior. That comes from a sincere heart, beloved. He'll save you right here this morning. And for us believers, I pray that we would never lose sight of the fact that without Christmas there would be no gospel. 
and that we could use this time of the year, whether we're out shopping or whether we're out filling our car with gas, to spread the glorious news that Christ has come. His name is Jesus. And He's come to save us from our sin. That we could proclaim that to all who've yet to hear. Pray that as we celebrate this Christmas time and New Year's with our family and friends, Lord, that you would protect us, that you would keep our hearts and minds focused on you. For those traveling, including myself, Lord, I pray for mercy, that you would just allow us to arrive where we need to be and when we need to get there and watch over us. And we just thank you for your divine work. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.